started. So we'll, um, Shirhana is going to join us any minute, but let me just introduce our speaker today. Um, I'm Iris Bonnet, and that's Hannah Riley Bowles, who's joining us. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I come from class. No, I know. That's what I told everyone. It depends on how quickly the students let you go. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Forgive me. Um, yeah, well, no, I mean, you've already, I mean, I think no, you're, you're as excited as I am. Yeah, I mean, we're both thrilled to have you here. I was just walking in, playing in my mind. I mean, I guess, you know, what we're, what we're delighted is you, you generally come to this sort of question of strategic behavior from an experimental economics or behavioral economics perspective more generally. And you've been kind of applying this expertise now specifically to gender questions. And so this is terrific. We get to sort of leverage this sort of brilliant mind within our space. And so we're thrilled to have you here. So I think I'm going to assume that Iris covered the other half and yeah, introduced everything else. I haven't said anything yet. Oh, okay, good. Well, did you say welcome or anything? No, I haven't. Welcome. And I think we'll roll backwards. I think we'll just, I'll, I'll just stop there. So welcome, thank you. This is going to be a great talk. I'm very excited about it. We've got an excellent turnout today. Um, and then we should be uh, be warned that we're gonna we're likely to appear on an iPod. And I want you to know that I've got students who show up my office hours who are so bummed they missed this one and really listened. So so your your reach is gonna extend beyond this room. So thank you. We're excited for your talk. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm Katie Kaufman. I'm at Ohio State University in the economics department. I was a graduate student here and had the pleasure of presenting here two years ago. And I'm thrilled to be back with this packed room, and uh, this is actually the first time I'm presenting the results of this paper, so I'm really excited to get your feedback. I know we set, a time, set aside time at the end for questions, but I'm happy to take questions during the talk, too, so feel free to interrupt me. Um, so I'm going to be talking about group decision-making and uh, acting upon expertise. Um, so I think, from this angle, the glare is there, so I'm going to stay on this side. So uh, the motivation for this project is pretty simple which is the fact that economists know a lot about how individuals make decisions, but in a lot of contexts, decisions aren't made by individuals. They're actually made by groups. So I, I think this is true in almost all walks of life. Um, I skipped my first slide there. Okay, so all walks of life. So we've got groups of faculty and committees. We've got student projects. And then in the professional sector, corporate boards, consulting teams. We can think about lots of environments where a group of individuals is going to sit down and have to make hard decisions. So, you know, we focused a lot in economics on aggregating individual opinions and ideas into a group decision. And we know that process is really hard. So that's a really well-studied question in economics. But I want to kind of take a step back in this project and say, well, even more important maybe is what ideas actually get brought to the table in the first page. So I'm going to call that sort of the contribution or elicitation stage of the group decision-making procedure. And I think it's easy to convince you that the quality of the group decision, regardless of what aggregation procedure is used, can really only be determined by the quality of the inputs. Right? You need good ideas in order to reach a good decision. So there's a lot less economics work on this contribution stage of group decision making. And I'm going to try and step into that area and offer some insights. So the important questions that I'm going to try and cover in this talk are simply, you know, we'd like to think that the most informed members of the group are the ones contributing most often. But I think it's not very hard to think of situations where we've been in a group where the person talking the most is not necessarily the person who knows the most. Right? And, and that's frustrating. right? So I want to think about, well, if it's not just your knowledge that, uh, that predicts your willingness to contribute an idea, what does predict that decision? And of course, this is a talk about gender. I'm going to show you some interesting gender correlates of being willing to contribute an idea. 
And finally, I think the important thing here is not just to document sort of gender differences and willingness, willingness to contribute, but to really think hard about ways where we could improve this contribution stage. Right? Can we design mechanisms that are going to sort of improve the likelihood that our most informed members are speaking up most often? Um, unfortunately, I'm going to present some negative evidence on this last point, but hopefully I'm going to get all of you in this room thinking more about this and trying to brainstorm some ways where we might be able to fix some of the inefficiencies I'm going to show you. All right, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about related literature. Um, there's very little in economics on this contribution stage, but there's a large literature within social psychology on group decision making. Um, there are some really interesting papers in this area. So I, I want to highlight this one paper in particular by Thomas Hunt and Phillips, and they're going to study a really natural setting. So their paper, uh, they look at this task, I think some of you may have seen it before, where they tell you you've you know, been stuck on sort of a deserted island or you're stranded in the wilderness and you have to decide what you're going to pack in your backpack. Okay? And, and you kind of rank what's most important. So they have individuals do this task and then they put them in groups and see what ranking the group comes up with. Okay, so this is really interesting. And they find that women who did a really good job ranking things seem to be less influential within their groups than men that did a good job ranking things, or even men that did a not so good job ranking things. So women seem to be less influential, and groups have a hard time sort of recognizing which women are the ones who did well at this task. So I, I think this is a beautiful paper, but the challenge is that we don't really know what's going on. Right? So we see sort of at one hand how they did the individual task, and we see the group output at the other side. But in that space in between, we don't have a good sense of what's going on. Right? There are conversations going on. Right? How assertively did they state their ideas? Maybe they weren't getting listened to. Maybe they didn't speak up. Right? There are a lot of potential explanations for sort of the rich observations they offer. Those mixed gender groups. Mixed gender groups. Yeah. So what I want to do is try and sort of sacrifice some of the naturalness of that setting to be able to isolate this idea of being willing to contribute. Right? So instead of looking at sort of natural conversation spaces where people can deliberate and argue, I'm going to kind of strip down the environment and isolate this idea of how willing initially are you to contribute an idea to a group. Okay, so I'm going to try and sort of carefully measure this in a structured lab experiment. And to do so, I'm going to rule out a lot of the things that we think might be important also in the real world. Right? And in particular, I'm going to show you settings where there isn't any discrimination going on. Okay, so in my setting, it's not going to be the case that women aren't getting listened to, right? that they're trying to speak up and group members just aren't acting on their information. Right? I'm, I'm going to try and take that away as much as possible, including trying to take away even the fear of that happening. Right? This is going to be an environment where if you want to speak up, you speak up. So I'm going to show you the experimental design, and hopefully that will become more clear. Um, Okay, and finally I'm going to show you right, how changing this mechanism slightly might impact contributions. Right. So it's a long experiment, um, and I'm going to walk you through the six parts, but the key is going to be understanding part C. So this is where I'm going to spend the most time talking to you about. Right. So the broad overview is in part A and part B, I'm going to get some background information about how much these individuals know in different areas. So these are sort of individual aptitude tests. Part C is where all the action is. This is when they're going to decide within a group how willing they are to contribute their answers for the group. 
I'm going to collect information on things that economists and other social scientists think matter in explaining gender differences, in particular how confident you are and what your risk preferences look like. And then finally in part F, I'm going to sort of preview what I think of as fu future work, so collect some data on projects that I think would be interesting to explore, looking at sort of once you contribute an idea, what's the probability you get listened to. I also at the end collect some demographic information. So importantly, right, this is when I ask you what your gender is, so I'm not priming you up front with any of the demographic information that's true for you. So I think one of the nice things about my design is I'm going to explore a variety of areas. So I'm going to evaluate how much these subjects know in six different categories. So the categories, they see five questions for each of the six categories for a total of 30 questions. Uh, part A and B, if you saw me present two years ago, kind of tap into my previous research. Okay, so in part A, I let you skip questions that you don't want to answer to. So these are multiple choice questions, and I'm able to get a measure of how willing you are to guess. Right? And what I'm going to do here is just be able to collect data on this and then correlate that with your willingness to contribute to the group and see whether these actually seem to be related. Um, but of course, I couldn't just do part A because I think as my previous research along with others shows that when you collect measures of knowledge by allowing skipping, these might actually bias, be biased. Right? Because if women are more likely to skip conditional on their knowledge of the material, you might be underestimating how much women know in these areas. Yeah, one. answer. So they're in the environment where we've seen in the past a gender gap in willingness to guess. So they get one point for a right answer minus a quarter point for a wrong. What are the categories? What are the areas? Are they technology? Is it humanities? Yeah. Is so it I'm going to I'm going to talk about those. Okay. Um, I think they're on my next slide. So if, okay. if, I, if they're not on my next slide, I'll, I'll tell you in person, but it'll probably be easier to see on this slide. Okay. So in Part B, I force them to answer all the questions. So I get this unbiased measure of knowledge of the material. Alright. So here are the six categories. Um, so arts and literature, which I'm choosing the categories intentionally to sort of vary with how gendered we think of them as. Right? So I'm going to start with sort of what we might perceive as the female type categories and then progress until what we see as the male type categories. Now these aren't going to be just my perceptions, although I think this intuition is shared by a lot of people in the room. I'm actually going to ask the participants after the experiment what they think about these categories and I'll show that their intuitions about them match up both with actual performance and I think what we would think of as stereotypical assumptions about these categories. Okay, So entertainment and pop culture, history, geography, environmental science, and sports and games. Some of these questions come from things like an SAT2, <coughs> academic multiple choice questions, and some of them come from something like Trivial Pursuit. Right. So there's a mixture of sort of difficulty levels and uh, I don't know what you'd call it, sort of the spirit of the question, right? Some of these are harder than others, and some of them are more academic than others. We've got a range of things going on here. So the parts of the experiment are untimed, but I tell them we're going to spend about a half hour. Okay? Most of them finish within that half hour. If they aren't finished, I let them keep going until they're actually finished with those parts. Okay? The scoring, as I, I think Joan asked about, they get one point for a right answer, minus a quarter point for a wrong answer, zero points for a skipped question, they have five possible answers, so skipping is sort of weakly score maximizing. Right? If you guessed at random, 
or sorry, did I say skipping is weekly score maximizing? Guessing is weekly score maximizing, because if you guess at random, you have an expected value of zero. All right, I'm going to talk slower when I talk about part two. All right, so after they take these aptitude tests, everyone in the lab stops. I tell them they're going to be randomized into groups of two. They stay at their computer terminals, so this is just sort of a, you know, uh, a matching that goes on in the background. They know their partner is someone in the lab, but they don't know the identity or gender of their partner at this stage. They see 30 new questions in the same six categories. Right, so they've had a good preview of the types of questions these are. For each question now at their individual terminal, they're going to get asked, what do you think the answer to the question is? They're going to have to provide an answer there. And then the second part of that is, how willing are you to answer the question for the group? I'm going to show you how I measure this. So you can imagine a binary elicitation here where I just ask, are you willing to answer this for the group or not? But I'd like to get right, a little bit more data out of them. So I'm going to have them put a place in line. So I think this procedure is actually pretty intuitive. Right? So I ask them, you know, it's just you and your partner. You're both going to choose a place in line. And whoever chooses closest to the front of the line, their answer is going to be submitted for the group. So one is first in line. And if you choose one, if your partner chooses anything other than one, you're going to answer. And then two, three, four is last in line. I frame four as you're actually not standing in line. You're only going to answer if the other person chooses also to not stand in line and the computer flips a coin to pick the time. I tell them if both members list the same number, we just flip a coin and we're going to choose one of them. And importantly, the incentives here depend on the group answers. Right? So you're not getting paid for yourself, you're getting paid for your group. Right? So if you're closest to the front of the line, your answer gets submitted for the group, and each of you will earn one point if you're correct. Each of you will lose a quarter of a point if you're wrong. And there's no skipping here because I make them provide an answer for each question. So someone's answer is going to get submitted no matter what. Importantly, I, I think this was a design decision that I spent a lot of time on, right? which is, should you get bonus points just for being willing to answer for the group? Right? So I, I think you know, this is an interesting question. I wanted to start in the case where group members' incentives are perfectly aligned. Right? So it's not the case that even if I'm wrong, I have some added incentive just to speak up, at least not built into the payoffs I'm giving. Right? But you can imagine that there might be situations where just being willing to talk more often is beneficial or maybe detrimental in terms of your future prospects. Okay, but here, there are no bonus points. So every group member has the incentive to have the uh, member with the best idea of the answer actually submit their answer for the group. Right? We want the most informed people contributing most often. Any questions on this procedure? Great. OK, so after they do that, I show them the same 30 questions again, and I ask them to estimate in an incentivized way the probability that their answer is correct. Right, so I'm just going to collect some measures of confidence so that when I'm running these big regressions, I can control for what your believed probability of answering correctly was. I also estimate, and this is a tricky task, right, what your partner's probability of answering correctly is. You haven't seen your partner's answer yet. Right, so I, I think the best way of thinking about this measure is some idea of how difficult the question is. Right? So if I say I have a 75% chance of answering correctly, and I estimate my partner only has a 50% chance, 
I'm telling you something about my relative confidence given the difficulty of this question that I perceive. I don't know anything about my partner. You don't know anything about your partner at this stage. Uh, well, with one minor exception, which I'll explain later. I'm gonna, that's actually going to be a treatment variable. Could you yeah. explain the rationale for that second question? Yeah, so I think the rationale for the second question is this. Um, imagine I see that women are a lot less likely to contribute than the men. Um, maybe one plausible explanation is that women just think other people are smarter than them. Right? And that should come out through this question. Right? So if I compare a, a woman and a man, and the woman thinks that her partner is right 70% of the time, but the man thinks his partner is correct 60% of the time, that might plausibly explain some of the differences I see. Okay, so maybe I missed it. Are you saying that you have opposite sex partners? Uh, no, it's going to be totally random. So, so how would the woman assume that the other person was the man? Oh, I'm not saying she's making any assumption about the oh. gender of her partner, but just the quality of her partner, okay. sort of pooling across the probability of a man and a woman. Okay. I'm not saying this is uh, uh, what I think is going on, but I want to make sure that I can go back and rule that out. Yeah. Who are your participants? Because that tells that one might tell us something. So most of them are Ohio State undergraduates. Okay, so the, they're, they're the like going majority. into a university lab. It's not like online MTOR. So they're yeah. in a university lab, and so they're a university so lab at a big university. So they rarely know other people in the room, uh, but they recognize them as fellow undergraduates, okay. probably. And how many would be in a room at a time? Yeah, so the median session size is 12, but I have everything ranging from 6 to 30. So recruitment is, is difficult in this lab, so you kind of play with whoever shows up. I had 6, you have a pretty good sense of who might be your partner. If you have 30, you might not. Yeah, and so in all the regression analysis I do, I control for both the size of your session and the gender composition of your session. Because I have some nice variants on that, too, where you might update your beliefs. I'm sitting in a room with five men versus I'm sitting in a room with five women. That might matter. I don't have huge evidence that it does, but I can control for it. I know from what you told me before that my probability of being right is zero, right? Um, so your probability of being right should be at least 20%. Well, it should be 20%, right? I was wondering about that before, but it should be 20%, right? Random choice, right? So I would think to myself, well, probably I know myself. I know that I, you know, I don't know anything about this. Mm -hmm. So of course somebody is as least as likely to know as much as I do, right? So how would you calculate that as a measure of confidence rather than as a measure of knowledge about oneself? I mean, your confidence indicator is relative to other people, right? So, so this, I, these two things are independent. So I think this one, I can argue, is not relative to anyone else. Right. And I, I incentivize this in a way where you're exactly, you, truth-telling is, is incentive compatible. You should list the probability that you think you answer correctly. Um, and this doesn't impact the probability that your answer was submitted. It's not communicated to your partner. So you should be telling me honestly here without any relative measure. Right. Same with this one. In theory, this shouldn't be relative to anything. This right. should just be something else. But I could compare these two, and maybe you could imagine a difference measure or something that might tell me something about relative confidence. Okay. I, I haven't done that, but I use regressions where I put both of them in. whether that risk preferences should matter. Um, you're not choosing between certainty and contributing to the group. You're kind of making a decision about where to stand in line, and there's a lot of uncertainty no matter what you choose, right? And even the decision to submit your answer versus not 
Well, then there's uncertainty about your partner's probability of being correct. So it's not clear to me how risk preferences would map directly into predicting this setting. But since we know that there are gender differences in risk preferences, I'm going to collect them and kind of have them to hold on to and see whether they seem to matter. They don't. That's the preview there. And finally, this is sort of the, the tease of what I hope turns into a full future project. Um, at the end of the experiment, the last part, you're going to get handed a packet. It's going to contain the answers that the group submitted. So you're going to see the answer that was submitted for each question and who submitted it, member one or member two. And then I'm going to show you the same 30 questions again, and you're, you have another chance to answer them, and I can see what answers you submit. So uh, as I'm going to show you, I have a treatment variable where in some of these treatments, you're actually going to have your partner's picture. So you're going to know whether they're a man or a woman, and I'm going to be able to see if a man and a woman submit the same answer to their partner, depending on the category, is one more likely to get listened to than the other. So this is sort of a, a tack on treatment to give me some interesting data, which I think we might be able to explore more fully in a future project. All right, so here are the treatment variables, and I, I'm going to talk a little bit about these in terms of designing good mechanisms. All right, so the first one is the one I just told you about, which is how public is the contribution. Right, so in, in the two private treatments, the participants never learn their partner's identity. So when they get that packet of answers at the end, they just see member one or member two. You don't get any other information. Yeah. And they don't know which ones they're right. Right, they don't know, have any information. They get no feedback until the very end of the experiment, with the exception of what I'm about to tell identify whether they are member one or two, or are yes. they just supposed to remember? No, it identifies, okay. it says it at says the top, you, you are member one, and then it, okay. it has those labels. Okay, and in the public treatment, before part C starts, right, so I tell them, you've been put in a group of two, I'm going to come around now, I'm going to take your picture, and later in the experiment, I'm going to give your picture to your partner. Okay, so they know, when they're contributing their answers, that later on, the answers they contribute, along with their picture, gets delivered to their partner. I don't have IRB permission to keep the pictures, so all I can tell you is gender. I, I have other demographic information I can link it to, but I can't show you things like this person was smiling or this person was cute or anything like that. So I said, I, I, maybe in a future project we'll actually hold on to the pictures. Okay, the second treatment variable is whether you receive feedback. So here was my goal to try and improve group decision making. Right, so you take those aptitude tests up front, parts A and parts B, and then no feedback treatments, nothing happens. You take them, you get put in a group of two, you never receive information about how you did on those tests. In the feedback treatments, right after part B, I tell you which categories you had the highest score in within your group. So this is relative feedback. It's noisy, there are only five questions. Right? So, so it's, it's not a great measure of how much you know, but I tell you, of the two of you, you had the highest Part B score in these categories. I also tell them if there's a tie, I list the category for both of them. Since there are only five questions, ties happen a fair, enough, fair amount of time. So these are the distributions over treatment. The sample sizes are big because I'm hoping to look at across treatment differences. Uh, one thing to note is that the Ohio State lab housed in the econ department is not gender balanced, which I did not know going in. It's about 40% women. Okay, so the original goal was 50-50, for like 50 in each cell for a total of 400, but it became clear that that wasn't going to work. So the goal instead became 40% you know, women with a total of 450 observations. 
So balanced across treatment, but not across gender, unintentional. All right, so incentives and logistics, and if someone was asking about who these people are, they get a $5 show-up fee. In each part, it's calibrated that they can earn up to 30 points. And then I tell them that one, point, one part has been pre-selected for payment, and I'm going to pay you $1.50 for every point earned on that part. Okay, so there shouldn't be any hedging across parts. Right? So if, if I submitted one answer in part A, you know, I have no incentive to submit a different answer in part B just to make sure that I earned at least 50 cents or something like that. Okay, so they get paid for one part. It ends up being part A for everyone who participates. I run them at Ohio State with almost 90% Ohio State undergrads, some occasional grad students or members of the broader community. They earn about $18. They stay for 80 minutes. Okay, so the last thing that I collect data on, so at the very end of the experiment, I ask them for the six categories, who do you think, men or women, on average, knows more about the category? Okay, so it, I think, you know, you could think a lot about phrasing here. I ask them about who knows more. So keep that in mind as I'm showing you perception. Okay, they use a sliding scale where negative one is labeled female and one is labeled male, left to right, and they see the number, right, as they drag it and they have to drag it somewhere along the spectrum. So they have to touch, the, the spectrum starts at zero, they have to at least touch it, they could leave it at zero, but they have to at least click on it. Yeah? I'm not sure if this is germane, but do, you, do the participants know the age of the other people in the room, relative age, because prior to Title IX, women didn't uh, receive the same um, advantages in terms of sports, for example. Mm -hmm. I could argue the same about many other categories. Um, so. If I was in a room and I knew that there were all, for example, women my age or, or older, I would guess differently than if I saw women who were younger. Yeah, so I have almost no one over the age of 25. Okay. Um, so most of the time they're seeing people that are other undergraduates. So I think age expectations, mostly because I just don't have any variance, is, right. is not likely to be a big factor. Um, but certainly if you were to look at a different subject pool, that might be something that matters a lot. So, and, and I think it's important too, so I'm asking them not necessarily about the room here, but on average in the population, right? So I'm not saying look around you or given what you just did, I want them to think about this generally. Of course, they're doing it right after the experiment, so I can't rule out the fact that that impacts how they think about these things at least a little bit. Right? So they don't get any feedback, you know, they don't know whether their answers were right or how much they're earning before they do this. Um, I think this is actually, yeah. Sorry, so they could get, so part of them, some of them get this after they've seen the photo and the responses of their, of their partner? Exactly, okay. yeah, they, okay. um, they get it at the very end. So they've all seen answers from a partner. Okay, um, and some of them even with photos. And some of them even with okay. photos. Why do you have the women negative? I mean, negative connotes <laughs> negativity and less than good, you know? Uh, did you ever try going from uh, five to 10 or put the males at minus one and the females at plus one? I, so I liked the, well, right, so I, I could have flipped the labels. I didn't. Um, you know, this reads left to right, so you might think left also has an important position relative yeah, to but right. Left but is anomalous in <laughs> Okay. But I, yeah, so I, I can't rule out that that matters, although I'm going to show you the patterns and I'm going to argue they're making decisions based on something other than the fact that this is a negative one. Okay. But. I just had a quick comment. So I really love the measure on where are you in line and the, 
really clever. It seems like you're taking out a possibility that might be deliberate, which is, I could be very confident that I'm correct, and I think the question is very, very difficult, but in the real world, I don't voice it because I don't think the other people are going to listen to me. Yes. And that is sort of removed from your measure altogether. Exactly. Right? Yes. And that's, that's sort of intentionally what I'm taking out. So I think, you know, when I talked about the social psychology literature, that is another rich and interesting part of what might be going on. Um, so what I want to see here is, like, even absent those concerns, right, I just want to think about sort of what would be brought to the table in a world where everyone got listened to, right, something, something like that. Um, but I recognize that this doesn't parallel that many settings, right? There, in most settings, you are going to have to worry about what other people think. Okay, so here are their perceptions across category. So I, I've lined them up by average rating. Uh, so as we pointed out, the women are in the negative range here, right? I think there are two interesting things, which is we see a lot of variance across category. We also see a lot of variance across gender, right? So none of the 95% confidence intervals, except for sports and games, even overlap across gender, right? So women always think, you know, um, let, let's try and think. Women always have a more favorable view of women than the men do. I, I could frame that in opposite terms too, right? But so the women are, are more negative on every single dimension. So um, uh, about two-thirds of the subjects rank the categories in exactly this order. This is not the order they're presented in. I've just arranged them for you in this way. Okay. So there's a lot of agreement about which gender is better at which category. <coughs> um, I'm going to show you almost everything <coughs> broken out by category. So you're not going to have to worry about me sort of sticking labels on this of what's male versus what's female. Just remember these are the perceptions, and then when I show you the results for a category, you can kind of think back to, okay, well, they thought this was relatively female or male. Okay. All right, so they're actually pretty well lined up with actual performance in Part C. Not perfectly, but the areas where people think men tend to have an advantage, men seem to actually have an advantage within our sample. Not super surprising given that they just did the task, right? Um, so we see significant differences in performance across gender and category. Now I'm just talking about how you do in terms of submitting individual answers, right? And in general, the performance lines up well with the places they choose in line, right? So people aren't behaving crazy here, right? The people who know more right answers are submitting places roughly lower in line. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you patterns, but in general, they're doing pretty well at this task. So here are just performance differences in Part C. Right? So remember in Part C, I first ask you to list what you think is the right answer for each question. Right? So I'm just going to look at, there are five questions. Right? So you could get five right. You see that our averages are well below that. So there's a lot of uncertainty in this setting. This is nice, right? These aren't people who are just acing every test. These are hard for them. Okay? So women uh, marginally outperform men in art. There's no difference in pop. And then men, at least marginally in geography and pretty significantly in the other three outperform women in the, in the male type category. Of course, this is just on average, right? So we have a lot of heterogeneity, and that's what I'm going to play up, right? There's, that even though women on average know less about history, there are women who know a lot more about history than their partner. Right? And that's nice because, as someone else pointed out before, I'm just randomly pairing people. So I have about uh, slightly less than a quarter of the groups that are two women paired together, a big chunk that are mixed gender, and then uh, about 30% that are men paired with men. 
right? So even if you're a woman, there's a good chance you're actually an expert at something like history because you might be paired with another woman or you might be paired with a man that's, man that's not that good or you might be one of the better women, right? So there's, there's a lot of variance going on here. All right, and here's the average places chosen in line. Okay, so the, the graph here, is, it's, I think it's hard to read. I, I, I should figure out how to sort of reconfigure it, right? So a lower bar means you're closer to the front of the line, right? So it, it's, it's like flipping back the other slide, which makes it sort of incongruous, but I'll show you better things later, right? So these are women closer to the front of the line in art, a little bit closer to the front of the line in pop, and way behind in line in the other four categories. So these line up pretty well, right? If I was just roughly predicting places in line, I'd say they seem to pretty closely track performance and pretty closely track the perceptions of the categories. So those are just summary statistics. And now I'm gonna actually talk about results. So I'm gonna show you that men under contribute areas in what I'll call the female type categories, arts and literature and this pop culture. And women really significantly under contribute answers in the male type categories. Is that under contribute compared to the average or compared to their knowledge? Yeah, so I'm gonna show you exactly my measure of that. Turns out it won't matter much how you define it because it, it's pretty robust. What I'm gonna look at is situations where you have the right answer, so I, I can see that perfectly, and you don't contribute it to the group. Okay, I'm gonna call that a missed opportunity. And I'll talk more about that. So I think this is interesting. This is bad for group performance because people with right answers aren't contributing them. I'm gonna show you a second and maybe even more interesting negative consequence, which is after the fact, the men who know a lot about the female type categories and the women who know a lot about the male type categories are significantly less likely to get recognized by their partner as most knowledgeable. So this is, I'm a man who knows a lot about arts and literature. I aced every arts and literature test in this thing. I don't contribute my answers that often to the group. And so afterward, when I ask my partner in an incentivized way, who in your group knew the most about arts and literature, they don't say you. This is when you've shown them the photo. Uh, so I have data from both treatments. Some of them have photos, some of them don't. I'm gonna break out the data by that and show you it actually doesn't seem to be driven by the fact that I saw that he was a man and so I, I automatically don't think he was good at this. And finally- Sorry, can you explain that again? How, how is it, how, if they don't know, what does that mean if they don't know? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm, I'm gonna show you a lot more detail on this. So I'll, okay. I'll try. Right. Go, no, go ahead. Okay. Then I'll, yeah, I'll so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a bunch of slides on this, and then let's talk more about. Okay. So I'm gonna show you too that providing feedback, so telling you you're the best within your group within this category, doesn't have a large impact on performance, which is really disappointing. So I can go to you and say, you're really good at arts and literature, and you don't actually contribute your answers any more often. Um, when I get to that, I'd love to talk to you guys about what you think might be going on there. Okay, so to give you a sense of how good groups are at this task in general. So it's nice, individuals answer Part C questions correctly about 51% of the time. The group does perform, uh, improve on that, right? So groups are submitting right answers 58% of the time. And so if you were just randomly selecting one of the group members' answers, we'd expect that groups are only right 51% of the time. If you had this really high bar, right, that whenever one of the group members has the right answer, that answer gets submitted, call it like the truth wins norm, that would be 71%. So 
So they fall somewhere in the middle of this range, maybe a little closer to random selection, but there's a lot of room for improvement. That's all I want you to take out of that. So it seems like another interesting metric would be if you always submitted the more knowledgeable person. Okay. Yeah, that would be interesting. So the one who did better in Part B. Yeah. I don't know that answer off the top of my head, but I can definitely look at it. I'll go with 64%. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I, I think the point here, right, is that there is inefficiency in group decision making. So it's not that they're doing as well as they possibly could. There's room for improvement here. We could submit right answers more often than we do. Okay, so here's, we were talking about this before. I'm gonna define a missed opportunity. So I'm gonna define a missed opportunity when an individual has the correct answer to a Part C question, but doesn't submit a place in line low enough to answer for the group. So I think there, there are other ways that you could look at this. The nice thing about this one is that I'm not gonna condition on whether your partner was right or not. Right? And the, the nice thing about this is that it's you know, a potential missed opportunity and it depends less on the random draw of who your partner is. Right? So in a lot of these treatments, you don't have any information about your partner. So we think that your decisions shouldn't really be conditioned on them anyways. These look very similar across the treatments where you have information or not. Um, so I think it's, you know, a step towards sort of bootstrapping something like this, which you could also imagine doing. Um, okay, so it's a potential missed opportunity, but one thing to point out is that uh, in 70% of these cases where a missed opportunity is had, right, I have the right answer and I don't submit it, the group answer correct, answers incorrectly. So missed opportunities are very often costly. Since we only answer correctly 51% of the time, the chance that my partner is going to be right when I'm not is, is pretty low. So I'm gonna ask how often do groups have missed opportunities, right? Or a way to think about this is right answers go unheard, and what predicts that? So first, just sort of the unconditional analysis without the regression, right? So I'm gonna condition on you having the right answer and ask what's the probability that you <laughs> fail to submit it for the group. So we see in arts and literature and pop culture, men are marginally more likely than women to have a missed opportunity. So in arts and literature, men have a missed opportunity about 23% of the time, and women it's about 21% of the time. So these are not regressions, right? So I'm, I'm not really controlling for anything. I'm gonna show you regression soon. This is just the raw data. We see really pretty large gaps in what we would call the male type category. So in sports and games, we get to a point where women are almost twice as likely as men. So you can have lots of explanations for why this might be going on, right? You could say, well, the, let's con control for Part B and Part C scores, right? How much they actually know. So that's what we do. Um, I'm going to show you that regression in a minute, but just pointing out, men have a missed opportunity about 20% of the time on average. It occurs most often in the female type categories. For women, the number is 27%. That's a significant difference. But really what's going on is this is happening a lot in the male type categories. So a woman's correct answer in a male type category doesn't get submitted almost a third of the time. So that's a, a lot of the time that a right answer goes unheard. Okay. So now I'm gonna show you that those patterns are robust to throwing in all of our measures of knowledge to the material. Right? So I'm gonna control for the Part B scores you have, how many other answers correct in Part C you had, and I'm gonna control for all the demographic information I have. 
great. So, yeah. But you're not yet controlling for A. For I'm not yet controlling for A, if I remember A right. was, but I skipped on that. Right. So I'm just going to control for part B. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to first. I'm going to show you sort of um, let's control for things that uh, you know might be an uninteresting explanation for what's going on, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to show you later on well what actually predicts this behavior, and that's when I'm going to talk about those sort of things. So I think an uninteresting answer for what going on, what's going on is that the you know the men in the women's categories are just less smart or something like that, right? I'm, I'm going to rule that out. Okay, so here's the regression analysis. So this is a female dummy. I'm running a probit, just predicting the probability of a missed opportunity. Right. So again, I'm going to condition on you having the right answer. Right. These are only people who have the right answer for that question. I'm going to report marginal effects. Right. So we see that the patterns that we saw in the in the graph are really robust to these regression results. Right. So the marginal effects. Men are about five percentage points more likely to have a missed opportunity in art, about four percentage points more likely to have a missed opportunity in pop, and they go the other direction in the male type category. Okay, so I think one thing that's interesting here is here's part B score and category. Right, so you want to get a sense of the magnitude of the effects. Right, so the marginal effect here is going, if you got one more correct answer in part B in that category, and you see for something like sports and games, right, this coefficient is so much bigger than this. So these are sort of uh, big effects. And in terms of predicting your behavior, this seems to be more important than actually having more right answers in that Part B section. And these controls here are, are some of the things we talked about before, like session size and gender composition of your session. I'm also going to control for your partner's place in line. So none of this is coming through the fact that your partner is behaving differently in some of these treatment terms. So what I've shown you in the previous slide is that I think groups have difficulty sort of capitalizing on the knowledge of these experts, right? So male experts in the female type categories and female experts in the more male type categories. I, I think the interesting thing here is this is true, right? I think I could argue that this setting is even in the absence of discrimination. Right? So we talked about what I'm actually ruling out. Right? So, so here's a, this mechanism where if you're closest to the front of the line, your answer gets submitted. Right? There's, there's no chance that your partner says, I don't like your answer, I don't want to answer for you, <laughs> things like that. Right? It gets submitted for the group. Now there's a chance down the line, right, your partner's going to see that answer, but I think we've sort of minimized potential sources of discrimination. Okay, So I, I think here we're allowed to distinguish between these two, two stories where if we saw that, um, you know, like in some of the social psychology papers, that women's answers weren't getting, uh, you know, women weren't as influential, here at least it's not the case that the group isn't listening to them. It is the case that they're just not contributing them as often. What about the... Um they speak, they're passed over quickly to others, and um, sometimes they're even ridiculed even when their answer is correct. And sometimes they're, they're really not even called on uh, because it's a, it's a 
things that, in some cases, decades and decades of that. And so when those, and, and so you're, partly because you've got the undergraduates here, you would hope that that's not the case with their experience, but what if it has been the case, and therefore they're afraid to move out of that role of, you know, sort of acquiescence to, to put forward their ideas within the context of this study? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really interesting point, right? And, and anything, really, I would call it related to socialization and reinforcement over years of behavior outside the lab is you know, maybe unlikely to go away in the context of an 80-minute lab experiment. Um, you know, what we could say about it is it doesn't seem to respond or change in the face of incentives that should overwhelm that. Right? They're, they're small incentives, but we've given you an incentive to try and overcome that. It doesn't work. Um, it might also speak to the, to the difficulty, right, if we think we've designed a mechanism that actually eliminates the sort of discrimination story, but it still seems to be playing a role through previous experiences, I, I think that's uh, an interesting observation to make. Maybe if, if the same study were done at Smith College or an all-women's college, you might see a difference. It, yeah, I mean, and the challenge there is always selection or treatment, right, um, right, but, right. <laughs> but yeah, you might see a difference. Right, in, in the data I'm showing you now for Part C, no one's seen a photo at this stage. Okay. Some have had their photo taken, but no one's seen anything yet. They don't know anything about their partner, except if they were in a feedback treatment, they know whether they had the highest score in some category. Um, I have data on race, which when I show you sort of controls that all those dummies are in there. Um, there is, so Ohio State has a large undergraduate Chinese student population. Um, so 15 to 20% of our subjects are uh, students who are at least born in China and now are attending um, college in the United States. I also have data on whether they went to high school in the United States, which I think is nice because it might capture some of the socialization story if we think that cultures might be different. Um, so that's in there too. This is more of a, an understanding question. Is, is it just to reverse or do I have to worry about people who answered even though they shouldn't have? Or volunteered even though they shouldn't have? Right. Say people who have wrong answers, but themselves as a one. Right, the flip side of a, a missed opportunity. Well, no, it's not mechanically. It's not mechanically the flip side of a missed opportunity. Um, so I could condition on having the wrong answer and see how often that gets submitted. So I could look at that too. Which Andrew do you have in mind, Yaris? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll have to do more research. <laughs> I'm really not sure about this answer. So 
so I, you could guess which way it goes. So women, women use the box about a third of the time, you know, and provide answers. Their answers look exactly the same as the men's. Men never use the box, oh. right? And, and it, it's, complete, it's completely score irrelevant, right? So it doesn't matter if you check the box or not. There's no reason to or not to, but there does seem to be just a difference in how we like to express information we might not be that sure about. Anyway, different project. Okay. Too politically correct. Okay, so I think it, it's easy to convince you this has negative implications for group performance. So anytime someone has a right answer and isn't contributing it, that's a, potentially $1.50 for each of us that we're, we're not going to earn. All right, so I, I think maybe even a more interesting consequence, and, and here we're going to get back to what I previewed, right, is um, so we're in a group decision-making task. I know some right answers. I'm not contributing them at often. That's bad for our group. We're going to make worse decisions as a group. But I, I think it might also have implications right, beyond that one group decision-making setting. Right? So when we look back at that time we made decisions together, how do we view people who were speaking up versus not speaking up? Right? And if I'm someone who is smart but never spoke up, never contributed my ideas, I might have a much lower probability of my fellow group members or my boss recognizing that I'm actually smart. So that's what I want to look at now. So I want to argue that I'm, I'm going to show you some evidence about sort of opportunities for advancement and recognition within the context of a lab experiment. So with that caveat, right? I, I, can't, I can't capture that much of the future consequences within an 80 minute lab experiment, but I'm going to try and get at that a little bit. Okay. So you know, I, I think it's easy to argue right, that the people who are perceived as most knowledgeable Right, are the people who should get promotions, leadership positions, more influence, and future decisions. Right? And we've got to allocate these things efficiently. Right? I think we want the people who are actually most knowledgeable getting those things. So I'm, I'm going to try and see whether this under-contribution actually negatively impacts our probability of successfully recognizing experts. All right. So now I'm going to conditional on you being most knowledgeable in your group. I'm going to do the same thing here. I'm going to show you a, a convincing picture and then show you the regression controlling for everything you can control for and show that it holds up. So conditional on actually having the highest part B and part C score in your group. Right? So of the 10 questions you saw in that category, you had the most right of the two members in your group. You ask, what's the probability that your partner, in, in an incentivized manner, names you as most knowledgeable at the end of the experiment? So you see that women are at a big advantage in arts and literature and pop culture. Right? They're significantly more likely to get recognized than the men. And with the exception of history, they're at a disadvantage in these three male type categories. I'm going to show you there's something really interesting going on with history. So, kind of okay, so th this seems to be true. And you'll see in, in general, groups are pretty good at this. right? So here's the 50% mark. They're doing better than 50-50, at least for the men in most of these categories. For the women, they're actually doing pretty poorly down here, right? So on how many questions is this based? Is this just a few questions? It's 10 questions. Okay. So otherwise you could think that you, you're just updating your expectations and think maybe it's less, or, but in 10 questions, maybe less would not be effective perhaps. I'm trying to understand the story. So, 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 so for example, if you think, well, I'm, I'm like very good at art. I'm working <laughs> with somebody who is just being very lucky obviously cannot be really good at art because he's a, he's a guy so okay he did well maybe I'm going to adjust for that a bit so I'm going to uh, 
adjust my free days to fit, but not all the way. Right. So I, I, I agree. I share your worry that um, my probability of getting named most knowledgeable might depend on the gender of my partner. And okay. I'm in my regression analysis, I'm going to control for that. Okay. Right. So I'm going to show that um, if a man and a woman, both paired with the same man, get treated differently. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be something about the partner's beliefs about themselves. Um, it's something about, uh, you know what I'm saying, of kind of controlling for the partner's beliefs about themselves. Okay. So here I'm going to control for your Part B and Part C scores. Right, so here I just said you had the highest ones. You actually were most knowledgeable within your group, but we recognize the fact that right, two women in sports and games might have very different scores than two men in sports and games. So here I'm gonna put in your actual Part B and Part C scores, as well as all these other controls that have been brought up. Right, all of those are in here too. Okay, so instead of showing you that giant regression, I'm just gonna show you the coefficient on female from the giant regression. So these are marginal effects of being female on the probability of being named most knowledgeable. Okay, so controlling for partner's gender, controlling for your actual scores. So you see, these are really big differences. Right, so women are 20 percentage points more likely to be named as the expert in arts and literature. Okay, so this is all treatments. They've seen pictures in some of these now. right? So I'm going to break it out by private and public. Right, and the idea here is that maybe this is just being driven by the fact that if I see a picture of a woman, I automatically think she's really good at arts and literature. The coefficients are almost identical in the private and public one. So I want to argue that this is not coming through sort of what we would call explicit discrimination of I see a picture and I make judgments. This can only be coming in through, and, and challenge me on this if you have other stories, right? this is only coming in through how often did you actually bring those right answers to the table? That, that's all I have to go on. I have a sheet, but it's a list of answers. So they, so they see where the person places themselves on the line and they see the answer? They, they don't see, see that. The they only see what got contributed for the group and by who. And by who. They don't see the, the place. In theory, you know your place, so you could update a little bit about where they chose, but that might be more or less informative in different cases. Okay. So the patterns are, are similar, I think, you know, nearly identical to the graph we saw. Right? So women are uh, 11 percentage points less likely to be recognized in environmental science, 16 percentage points less likely to be recognized <coughs> in geography, and about 19 percentage points less likely to be recognized in sports and games. Right? These are percentage points, not percentage. So these are, these are really big differences. Okay, so I pointed out to you that in most cases, the private and public treatments look very similar, right, with the caveat that I'm cutting my sample in half, right, so I'm losing power in these, and that's why some of the stars are disappearing. I think the interesting thing to point out is that there doesn't seem to be evidence of discrimination, except maybe in this one category. So this is the only spot. Right? So when I don't see pictures, women are almost 17 percentage points more likely to be recognized in history. And when I see a picture, this actually becomes a negative so I think this is the only partial evidence we have that actually seeing that you're a woman hurts how you're uh, viewed as a, as a history person. Um, of course, it only shows up in one category and, and not a category at an extreme. History is relatively close to neutral. Um, so, yeah. Are the um, percentage of answers correct pretty evenly distributed across the categories? Uh, so I, 
No. So some categories are easier than others. Um, in, in general, the number is 50%, so it hovers around there. There aren't too many extremes, but like. Is history harder? Go back. So these are average numbers of correct answers in Part C. So okay. history is right. not substantially harder than a lot of them. Pop is relatively easy. Yeah. Would it have made a difference to have questions in history? I mean, were they military history questions or were they social history questions? Because that may have an effect on how people respond. Yeah, so there are a mix of US and world history SAT2 questions, um, which I've used on other things in the past. Um, so are, are they revolving, I, I didn't read the SAT, so are they revolving around wars and, and sort of political events, or are they dealing with sort of social movements and, and other I things? think more social movements. Um, Manifest destiny, that's one of the questions. There's stuff that dates all the way back to like where did the, you know, where do we think that the humans, you know, what continent did we think humans first came from? Like there's a big range of questions, so it's not that there are 10 military history questions, but um, that, yeah. So I, when you introduced this uh, recognizing expertise idea, yeah. I thought you were going to go in a different, a little bit of a different direction, which is show them. The how, which questions they got right and present their gender and then see how much they recognize, like acknowledge that they got that answer correct. Because in both of these treatments, you you only see if they got it right if it counted, right? If it was counted towards the group decision. You, in fact, you don't even see that until the very end of the experiment. So right. I, I pay you and I hand you a packet with the right answers. Right. And you could take your group members' answers in the packet and kind of compare notes. But it, it's not natural at all. Like it's not like I'm flashing up on your screen a series of checks of who got what right. Because I think a, a next nice nice next question is if I do show you, you know, a woman who got all these questions correct, but they didn't count towards the group, do they, then you adjust your beliefs about her expertise? It's a separate question, but yeah, no, that would be an interesting thing to think about. That um, you know, I have. A, a similar type of thing I can look at where I can tell you not very much is going on, at least in the analysis I've done so far. I have this part F stuff, right? So I have, um, here are the answers that were submitted for the group. You get a chance to answer the questions again. What do you want to write in? Um, in general, it, it looks very similar to the story here that private and public don't look a lot different. So it's not the case that you know a, a man and a woman who submit the same answer are, are treated much differently. Um, but I, I haven't analyzed it in detail yet to the extent that I've done these other things. Yeah. Um, when you were saying that this is costly, yeah. you mean in terms of the monetary return for the group? Yes, missed opportunities, yeah. costly like that. Um, but what if a group is going to function worse when the group is uh, both gender and the woman That's what I often see. Yeah. So in a way, what what is collectively costly could be individually preferred both also by the woman who prefers to not put her expertise on the table because she knows she's going to be in trouble, or she thinks she's going to be in trouble, and she is not. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Maybe in your paper you do that, but 
<coughs> one way of costly. That's what, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So of course, in my experiment, I can talk about costly in terms of the money you walk away with at the end of the experiment. It's very hard for me to say anything about welfare. Okay. Right. Yeah, and so and and. Importantly, right, it might be interesting to run an experiment where there is some endogenous group formation, right? What groups <coughs> you choose to be in. Here, they're just randomly paired and they, they have to perform in this group. And they don't know the gender composition yeah. of the group while they're performing. So there are a lot of things that are sort of um, you know, unnatural here that, that might be really important when we think about something like welfare. Yeah, but, but when you say not driven directly by discrimination, is that really a conclusion we can draw if we take account I think this is related to this point, right? I can't rule out the fact that discrimination in the first 19 years of your life yeah. okay. led to the behavior yeah. I see okay. in the lab. But I can, I think I can rule out that it's not the fact that in the lab your partner is discriminating against you and that's why your answer is sitting out. Yeah. It's, it's your behavior, not Exactly. Not. That's exactly the point. That's what I want to say. Yeah, so the goal was actually one female, one male, and four neutral. <laughs> Missed it, right? So turns out it, it's, it's really hard to find something that people think are neutral. Right? So, and, and part of that might just be the presentation of it, right? Where if I give you a sliding scale and I say, who's better, you don't say zero. And I think Alex has data on this in one of her projects too, right? We collected data on this sometime during grad school for some category. Oh, um, right? So we were, yeah, well, it wasn't related. So yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so it, it may be the fact that the, the information is, um, or the way I collect the information, um, but it certainly wasn't my intention to bombard them with male type categories and sort of overwhelm them. Um, I think the important thing is, right, the questions are always randomized. So you see, uh, you know, an art question followed by a sports question followed by a geography question. Um, so it's not like you're working in order through female things to male things. There's, there's a lot more randomness to it, so it might be harder to get a sense of how much is this your area of expertise or not. Yes? Um, Kate, a, a different analysis that you might have run or could run is the following. Um, I think now you're conditioning on whether or not I had the right answer, yes. and then do I now contribute the mm -hmm. volunteer. Um, could another question be what part of my volunteering depends on whether or not I had the right answer? So, so I, I have that too. Oh, I see. I, so, and um, gender in the category and the genderness of the, the, the I think I'm going to show you this next. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, a caveat, I think the, the procedure I use to collect how willing you are, I, I think it's, it's nice in that it might correspond to something like how quickly do I raise my hand in the classroom, uh, how assertively do I state an answer, right? You can imagine things like that on some sort of spectrum, um, but it's not clear exactly how to map that into different things. So I don't have a nice theoretical model of how it would change going from two to four, or four to six. Um, and you know, I, I could try and think more carefully about something like that, but I, I think that's an important question, right? People might use the mechanism a lot differently once we expanded the size of the group. Yeah. I, I have a mechanism that goes to that. Okay. So, uh, I'm borrowing from my colleagues Darius and Alexandra. So, um, so imagine going from two to three. Okay. Um, it seems to me that you've given us data that people start with a stereotype and they don't update it. And either way, they're 
like sort of amazing, but it's also like you've just, all you've done is taken a bunch of trivia questions that really aren't outside of your ken. And so in some ways it's like, it's a pretty ambiguous task. I mean, just, just from, from, yes. from, from, from completing one set of random, like random trivia questions, it doesn't really tell you that much about how good are your test, so it's not that, it's not that surprising that they're, that they're choosing. I, so yeah, I'm trying, I don't, that's not enough data for me to really calibrate how, you know what I mean, it's just too foreign of a task, you know. But I, I think what's interesting, right, is that totally agree with you, um, this is really ambiguous, but then I give you a specific question and I tell you, here's the question, and this is actually going to drive how willing you are to answer for the group. Oh yeah, that's right? totally, so, so that's, 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 that's right, This yeah. might be really arbitrary, yeah. but then this is going to be a huge predictor of your behavior going forward. So it's like... But, but still, can you really say it's, it's irrational? Uh, so if I know I'm a female, yeah. and even though I am really good at the sport, it's still rational for me to take into account maybe that I'm female, and that the, that the chances that I'm working with a guy when average is going to be better than I am. And so take it into account. It's like, like using stereotypes is not completely irrational. Right, and so I, I think what I should say too, right, is that um, women who are smart in arts and literature benefit from the fact that they think they're really smart in arts and literature, right? So there, there's a flip side to this, um, right? Like if, if I just could magically snap my fingers and eliminate all sorts of gender stereotypes, right, I'd be cutting out these inefficiencies, but I'd also be cutting out the fact that um, people who are really good in arts and literature and who are women are a lot more likely to contribute because they think women are really I'm just good at saying art. That I know if, if ex ante is, is not necessarily irrational behavior. Yes, I, I think that's right. I think I can probably look at that more carefully and try right, okay. and try and benchmark it. Um, yeah, I, I think you know. I just, I should probably keep going. Yeah. Do you have enough people in the sample to be able to um, carve off the people who are the, the most expert to see whether they behave in the same way? The people who are in fact mm -hmm. highly across the areas to be able to say that they also exhibit these same things? Um, I might. I'm not sure. to see if you were really smart, if this somehow disappears because you well, you, you recognize that you're really smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the same way as people who have been re given reinforced message that they're not that smart. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so I can control for scores, definitely, but I haven't just cut the sample to look at only people in the top. Okay, so I think this gets to more to Iris' question, which if I'm going to predict sort of, uh, this is the wrong question, I have your table in the paper, but I'm predicting the probability of a missed opportunity. This is the coefficient on women when I throw in all the measures of knowledge, and then I'm going to throw in on top of that the measures of confidence I have, like the data from the last page, and so it really shrinks the coefficients. So that explains a lot of what's going on, but not all of it. These are all non-zero significant coefficients. Either there's some measurement error here, or, or there's some other component of it besides just confidence. All right, so I just want to show you really depressing data. So can we improve group decision making? Right, so I vary whether they get photographs, and I vary whether they get feedback about Part B performance. This is the rate of missed opportunities. It's, it's almost identical. Okay, so then you're like, well, maybe it only works for some people and not others. So overall, here's the frequency of missed opportunities. I'm pooling all the categories now. Right? So we already know men have fewer missed opportunities than women, but there doesn't seem to be any robust pattern across the treatments to point out. Right? So you can see the standard error bars. Not a lot of these are significantly different from one another. Okay, so um, what I'd like to say is, okay, well, maybe feedback is only effective at reducing the rate of missed opportunities for people who actually got good feedback. That's 
and very intuitive story. So I tell you you're the best, and then you should have less missed opportunities. Well, so this is a, this goes from no feedback to feedback, and again, this goes from no feedback to feedback. So these are coming down at a tiny, tiny amount, right? And, and they come down a lot for men in these private conditions, but then once you show pictures, and for women, they don't seem to come down. Yeah. Katie, you talked a lot about how the 80-minute lab study, what I think is the deep pickling of cultural norms mm -hmm. over time leading up to the 80-minute lab study. What would be interesting is when you tell them they're good, whether that could be unpacked and set up in a different way, right? We know that women are more likely to stay in STEM when they have a female role model, which in essence isn't telling them that they're good. It's telling them that the external norm can be expanded and then they buy into that. Yeah. And about figuring out whether there's a way to tweak this to, instead of telling them they're good, to try to give them some external exposure that another woman is good or another man is good that then changes their self-perception since um, personal data for whatever reason seems yeah. to not make any difference here. But I mean, that would be really interesting if data about other people was right. more effective than data right. about yourself. You um, but that would be interesting. Says, okay, these are your marks, your grades in this, this test, but the top grade in this group, even if it's not right or not, is this woman who did this. Yeah. I can't do that because I don't use deception, but I could do something clever that would get at that. <laughs> there is actually data. There, there are several studies that ask, like that time girls and young men, I think their color schemes are like women and men, about how well women do on these kinds of questions and how, and it mm -hmm. does show a positive effect. Yeah. So um, there's no question, and you can get them to thinking about scientists of their gender yeah, no, I, I think that's an interesting idea. Let me wrap up with one more slide and then I'll just open it up to all the questions we have. So I mean, I mean, skip some stuff. I just want to show you that I, I think maybe the, the interesting conclusion to walk away with, right, is that this maybe suggests a channel of perpetuation of sort of gender dominance within a field, even in the absence of explicit discrimination in the context we're in, right? So I think lots of fields are perceived as male-typed, maybe these STEM fields, maybe even the realm of business, right? And if it's true that we can sort of extrapolate a little bit and, and talented women comparable to talented men may just contribute their ideas less often, right? They might be less likely to get recognized as an expert within that context, right? And, and that could be negative for their prospects even in the absence of explicit discrimination by a boss or a peer or anything like that, right? Just being unwilling to speak up as often as, as some of the other members of your cohort could have a really negative impact on, on um, how, how far you're able to go in that position. Okay, so I, I left five minutes for questions, so hopefully I can I mean, if I, if I go back, I, it, it's hard for me to say something about relative strength of men and women because it would be nice to just be able to flip a switch and be able to exactly calibrate this is 50% in favor of women. 50, I can't do that. Um, 
What I can say is that the female type categories as identified by my participants, the effects for men in terms of actual like place in line are a lot weaker than the effects for women in the male type categories. Yeah, but can, can we compare that to how gendered the, the perception of the categories are? Yes, so I can, yes. So um, in the paper what I do is I, I pool all the categories, I insert a, a proxy for maleness so your the Z score of the maleness of the category, and I run two regressions. I split the sample for men and for women. So for men, maleness has like a modest, modest impact on their place in line, conditional for all these other things. And for women, the coefficient is much larger and, and much more significant. So it, it that would lead me to believe that the effects seem to be stronger for women than men in my sample. But it may just be that I'm not getting the right female categories, right? That I'm I'm hammering the male type categories with sports and games. And I'm just not as successfully doing that in the female categories. I can't rule that out. You know, you did this at Ohio State? Yes. Is that predominantly Midwesterners? Yes. Predominantly Ohio State people and then Chinese graduates. Or I think Chinese it would be undergrad. really interesting to also run it on the coasts. And I don't know what the gender breakdown is of Ohio, but how gender is perceived on that campus may have a very strong impact in the study. And if you could, if you could also run it where they can't see who they're paired with in single sex groups for men and women and to see if you get a different effect. Because what you may be finding is that you're not actually studying men and women, you're studying the culture of Ohio State. Yeah, it, it's certainly- you repeat it elsewhere and to sort of see what you find. It's certainly possible. And I think even beyond that, Ohio State is a big enough place that the people we attract to the lab are people in the social and behavioral sciences. Right. So we're seeing men and women within the, the social and behavioral sciences. So right. it's a specific sample. Um, I do have a lot of variance in terms of you know, ethnic background and things like that. I have data on majors. So I, I could look at some of these things. But of course, going to a different subject pool might eliminate yeah. different findings. Just be curious. any data on how people behave when they know the gender of the rest of their groups. So it's hard for me to speak to that. I know how they behave when they make you know, a probabilistic assumption about the gender of their partners. Um, so I, I think it would be hard for me to make you know, well, what I mean is that unfortunately I have to pause you there. We, what we all need is the feminist past the stone and that's the basis <laughs> upon which we, we speak. I don't know if that works out. Um, but thank you so much. It's absolutely terrific. And next week, I hope you'll um, join us. Jennifer Lawless is going to talk about the origins of the gender gap and political ambition. So thank you. Yeah. Sorry we get no, 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 kind of cut off. We have all been listening. And, you know, kind of long